You don't want to tell? Okay. All right. Let's see. I have a question for you guys. If I can get to my notes here. Does anybody know what this is? It is a baby. Do you see that baby? It is a naked baby. That is true. That is true. It's a naked baby. Oh, I can't recover from that one. Uh, all right. So, this naked baby, do you know how old this baby is? 12 weeks old. I'm sorry? You were going to say that? This is a 12 week old baby. Now, but that, I, I've had two children, and they, they, they looked bigger than this when they were 12 weeks old. John Lee, what you got, buddy? Is it going to be helpful? Okay, then we'll, we'll skip it. Uh, all right, so uh, this is a 12-week-old baby, not after it's been born, but after it's been in its mama's tummy for 12 weeks. That's how big a baby is. And look, you can, it's, it's, you can see his, his face and his arms. Why is it wiggly? Because it's made out of um, plastic. It's fake. Yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all can pass it around. Y'all pass that around. Everybody feel it and pass it around. Everybody look. Don't, don't break it. Don't please. Please don't break it. About <clears throat> uh, a thousand this morning. Uh, now, here's the thing. That this baby is the size. This isn't an actual baby. This is the size, a model. It's a baby doll of a baby that has been in its mama's belly for 12 weeks. Now, who would have made that baby? That's exactly right. Let me read to you Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Who made you? That's right. What else did God make? All things. And why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. That's right. That's right. Did you know that you're special to God? Everyone whom God made, which is everybody, is special to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that these children are special to you, and doubly so as they, as many of them, have already professed Christ. Lord, grow them. Uh, grow them in your grace. Give them a vibrant faith. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Your parents desire, y'all can head to Children's Church. I have a present for you. It's a sticker. It says, wow. Well, if you will, please take a copy of God's Word. Remember, this is our second week of doing this. As you're able, I'm about to invite you to stand at the end of the time of reading the Word of God. I'm going to say, this is the Word of the Lord. And what are you going to say? That's right. So, uh, forearmed is forewarned. Uh, So, let's open God's Word uh, to Genesis chapter 21. Let's stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 21, starting at verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We are thankful that you have revealed yourself uh, through it to us, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes to see Jesus all the more clearly. We ask these sayings in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Is God trustworthy? What do you think? Good job. Uh, Is God trustworthy? That's the question I want to explore today. And uh, spoiler alert, he, he is. He is trustworthy. But it's a huge question, one upon which our whole salvation depends. Because if he is not, how can we trust him that our sins have been forgiven and we have been reconciled to him through Christ? Indeed, the trustworthiness of God really is a zero-sum game. He is either trustworthy or He is not. He is either true and faithful or He is a liar. The question is, is God trustworthy? And do we really believe this on a day-to-day basis? Indeed, I will tell you that for, for me and for you, it's a struggle daily, isn't it? as we consider the trustworthiness of God. Now, of course, we would say academically, well, yes, of course God is trustworthy. And yet we see reflected in this story, the same story of our own hearts, that we have these moments of trusting God and these moments of faltering and wandering. 
It was a question that Abraham and Sarah had been asking for quite some time. Is God trustworthy? Going all the way back to when God took them out of the land, the Ur, the Chaldees, and brought them into the promised land. And, and so they, they had moments of great faithfulness to the Lord. They had moments of great belief. You know, we're told that, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, he trusted God in the promises and, and God saved him. We see his trusting of God, seeing God as trustworthy when Abraham went out after those Canaanite or the kings from beyond the land of the promised land to, to rescue his nephew Lot. We see these great shining moments in which Abraham and Sarah said, yes, God is trustworthy. And then we have those times like when Abraham kept lying about Sarah being his wife. Because apparently God couldn't be trusted to protect them. Or the time that he tried to help God out, right, by having a child with Hagar. God is trustworthy. He fulfills his promises, all of them. I love what Psalm 37, 25 tells us. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. God is always always fulfilled every promise. And every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So in the text today, we're reminded that God is faithful and trustworthy. Although we will also see that not everybody found this to be good news. In verses 1 through 6, we see that God is faithful to His promises. And I do hope as we look through God's faithfulness to Abraham, that it will encourage us to trust all the more in the promises of God. Because the promise upon which God came through was a really big promise. For the first time in our study of the life of Abraham, we finally see this, this main tension of the story of the life of Abraham. It is finally resolved. Twenty-five years have lapsed since God called Abraham and Sarah, and now upon the birth of Isaac. Twenty-five years. God had been telling Abraham time and time again, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a child. And with each successive iteration of this promise, you find out little more and little more and little more. And even last week, we see them beginning to doubt this promise as they wander away from where they were meant to be and they lie about Sarah being uh, Abraham's uh, wife again. But God came through. God came through. See, God had promised that his descendants would be more than the sands on the shore, more than the stars in the sky. And the problem was that they were old and barren. They were old and barren at the beginning of our study of, of, uh, of, of the life of Abraham, and they're older and more barren by now. In fact, Sarah is 90, excuse, 89 when she gets pregnant, 90 when, uh, when Isaac is born. Abraham is 100. But last week, or excuse me, well, it would have been two chapters ago, rather, 1810, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. The question remained, was God going to be true to his word? And it's a question that you must have asked at some point in your life, and perhaps you're asking it now. Is God true to his word? Will he come through on his promises? Does God really love me? Don't you know my past? Does God really love me? How could he love someone like me? After what's been done to me. After what I have done. The hurt that I've experienced. The hurt I've put on others. Does God really love me? Will God provide for me? 
Will God help me? Will God really give me victory over sin like He's promised? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. Will God hear my prayer? Will He forsake me tomorrow because tomorrow's a big day? I better plan that He's not going to show up. Will He forgive me even when I've messed up again? Is it true that He has dealt with my shame? Is it really true that I'm defined by Christ and not my struggles, not my successes, not my failures, not my problems, not my family, not my salary, not my popularity? Are these things really true? Is God trustworthy? So we read in verses 1 through 2, through 2, The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. Sometime this week, if you're looking for a good exercise and, and, and Bible study, take verses 1 through 7 and write down all the things that are repeated over and over and over and over again. And you're going to see four things repeated over and over and over again. Old, laughter, God did as He promised, and son. Over and over and over again. I wonder, is God, is God faithful to His promises? Verses 1 through 2, we see it repeated three times that God did what He promised. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said. The Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. At the time at which God had spoken to him. God gave the promise and He fulfilled it. I wonder, is God trustworthy? You know, there's some people that you know they're lying because they're speaking. Have you met those people before? You can wonder, as soon as they open their mouth, you think, yep, he's a lion. You know, then you have people who will tell you to do something, and they will as long as it's convenient, and it's not a Sunday afternoon, and it's raining, but not God. It's not how he works. He doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep. His word and his promises are trustworthy and true. Is there somewhere in your life you need to be reminded of that today? Well, we've seen that God's true to His promises. The second, we see that God did the quote-unquote impossible. The quote-unquote impossible. It's in, it's in uh, quotation marks for a reason, right? Not only did God do what He said, He was able to do what He said. There are a lot of times that I have good intentions. Yeah, I'll be able to do that. <laughs> but I'm just not. Sometimes we're providentially hindered. You know, I'll be... Do you remember when 20 people in the church got COVID before Christmas? That was a lot of fun. Uh... I was supposed to preach and teach. That was my plan. I could not follow through on my commitments. Why? Because, well, we had COVID in my household. I intended to do what I needed to do, but I couldn't. That's a, it's kind of a silly application, isn't it? But a lot of times we can't follow through the very things we've committed to. But the best we can say is, I sure will try if we're honest. That's not how God works. Uh, you know, to quote Yoda, which is a great thing to quote from the pulpit, there is no try, only do, right? <laughs> That's how it is with God. And as Gabriel told Mary in Luke 1.37, there's nothing that is impossible for God. And so we're told in verses 1 through 7 three times of just how old these folks were. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old. Verse 7, and she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? I love that kind of question. Who would have said that? God. God would have said that. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. 
Let's talk about the tension that comes with the promises of God. We live in a world of tension, the now and the not yet. We do. We're called to live by faith and not by sight. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what we're called to do. And so there are many promises that God gives to us. He will never forsake us. He will, he will always forgive us. He will have mercy on us. We will always have the Holy Spirit. We can't lose our salvation. He answers every prayer. He will guide and direct us. He will give us victory over sin. We have the promise of the immediate presence with God upon our death. The church will prevail. The spirit does not belong to the Christian. Christ will return and many others. And all that he promises to do, he will do, no matter how hard it looks from our side. Okay, but here's the tension. Because a lot of times, as Southern Evangelical American Christians, we can assume and think that God promises us things that he doesn't. And then when we don't get those things, we become jaded, and it causes us to doubt the actual promises that God has given to us. So let's talk about some of the promises that as, as middle-class, white, evangelical, southern Christians, a lot of times that we assume. You know what? He hasn't promised us riches. He has not promised us riches. He has not promised us an easy life, a secure retirement, a good health, obedient children, a nice, shiny car. God will heal us every time, but that might be in heaven. When we slide into expecting things that God hasn't promised us, we set ourselves up for failure. Now ask for those things. And in His fatherly good pleasure, He may give you that and more. But don't come with a sense of expectation in the sense that if you don't get this, then God isn't faithful. Because when He doesn't give you those things, it's not because He's not been true to His word. Is it because you thought his word said something that it didn't? God is faithful every time. There's nothing too hard for God. We know that especially because of our salvation. How do you make someone who's dead alive? And that's what he does in salvation. He takes those who are spiritually dead, dead. In fact, working for the other team, under the power of the prince, under the power of the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2. And he transfers us from the domain of darkness and transfers, transfers into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. How does that happen? It's impossible. But nothing's impossible for God. And it's the same promise that we have of the empty tomb. God did not leave Christ in the tomb. He did not let his holy one, his chosen one, to see corruption. This is the promise of life after death. That upon, that though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes and lives in me, he shall never die. You can take that one to the bank, y'all. God does what is impossible for his own glory and for our good. <laughs> but he does it in his own timing. Oh, man. That one hurts, though, doesn't it? I don't like that one. But I sure am thankful for it. So often, I don't like God's timing until it turns out that we realize again that his timing was perfect and better than what I'd asked for. Verse 2, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time at which God had spoken to him. This was not the timing that Abraham and Sarah would have chosen, was it? 25 years they had been promised that they would have this child. That's a long, long time. But just because God didn't do it in their timing didn't mean that he wasn't going to do it. 
for they were impatient and failed many times along the way. But don't we all? I mean, and they failed big, guys. So we're about to see the tension that's going to come from the fact of when they failed and Hagar produced Ishmael by Abraham. He's going to be 17 in a minute. And there's going to be another heir in the house. And Abraham had been forgiven for this sin, but there's still the consequences for this sin. And he's 17-year-old, his name is Ishmael, and he's mocking the heir of promise. There are consequences when we don't trust the Lord. I've seen it in my life. Surely you've seen it in yours. You know, one of the reasons that things don't happen in our timing is when we, we can't see the big picture. In our lives, every aspect of it controlled by the providence of God as God is working all things together, right? And this, this plan of redemption, like a jigsaw puzzle, right? Into this mosaic that, that we can't see. We've been told about it, but we can't see all the details. And he's weaving it together for a much bigger plan than just my life, but for his glory and the redemption of the nations, the redemption of his people, the defeat of of the evil one and the coming again of his son. So all of these things are interwoven and he has a time in which everything's supposed to take place. And I'm thankful for that because I would rearrange things and it would be a mess. And Lord, give me the grace to remember that. When I'm asking for something, when I'm looking for something, and it doesn't come in my time. Academically, I'm thankful for God's timing and I hope my heart soon catches up. Well, so we've seen that God is trustworthy and faithful to His Word. Now let's look at the different responses in this text to it. First, we have Abraham and Sarah who responded with joy and obedience and worship and laughter. It was a good day in the house of Abraham. They were obedient. We see this in, in two instances. One, they named him Isaac, which is what God had told them to name him. And then second, Abraham circumcised uh, Isaac on the eighth day. This is the first recorded circumcision of an infant in Scripture. God told him to do it, and he did it. It's good to see Abraham being obedient, isn't it? It's good to be obedient, especially in response to the promises of God as we live a life of service and uh, as a response to what God has done for us, not to earn God's love, but because God loves us and we desire to be uh, good and profitable servants. They were also filled with joy. Can you imagine the tears that must have flowed down Sarah's face when she would go to nurse Isaac, 90 years old. The joy, the reproach had been taken away. The looks of Hagar and Ishmael that you know had to have come, come her way all the time as she held the child of promise. And they worshiped the Lord. They were quick to credit God with what had happened and it was super clear that they hadn't resolved the problem themselves. And then finally they laughed. I love this. They, they laughed. Now, now laughter has played a, a great role in the life of Abraham and Sarah up to this point. It, it keeps coming back. One of the first places we see it is when God told Abraham that he was going to have a child in his old age, and he laughed. Now apparently he laughed out of amazement, because he's not rebuked there. But Sarah is, in the next chapter, when she laughs... It's a laughter of un or disbelief. But now she is laughing with joy. That restorative laugh of, I sure didn't believe like I was supposed to. And praise be to God that he fulfilled his plan anyway. 
In fact, do you know what Isaac means? It literally means he laughs. It's kind of a reminder of where they'd come from. Verse 6, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Now, in the Hebrew, this is what it literally says. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will Isaac over me, will laugh over me. A laughter of joy and of fellowship. I think that we're going to laugh a lot in heaven. That's the kind of laughter we have here, of that sense of relief, of deliverance, of not just deliverance from something, but but the, the, the holistic Um, experience of shalom, of peace, of well-being, and fullness of life that we will experience together in heaven as we run through the fields of the new heavens, new earth, and as we walk in the garden with our Savior, as we get to hug those whom we had said goodbye to, there will be great joy and laughter in heaven. And, And it's breaking in into this scene as that which was broken is made whole, as one who is barren is given the privilege of bearing life. That's how we should respond when God fulfills his promises to us. But there's a major shift here in verse 8. We're reminded that for those who don't know the Lord, God's faithfulness isn't good news to them. Just like Hagar won't have eyes to see the well of Beersheba, we're in a second, so too that before believers we don't have the spiritual eyes to see the faithfulness of God as a good thing. In fact, I imagine that as unbelievers, we would hope that God isn't faithful to actually hold a day of judgment. God is faithful. Good news for the believer. But here is bad news for those who don't know the Lord. The whole situation is a mess. The whole situation is a mess because Abraham and Sarah had not been faithful back 17, 18 years ago uh, to wait on the promises of God of when he had promised them. Abraham had Ishmael by Hagar. And now there are two heirs, apparent heirs, in the household. Now, God had already told Abraham several times, the the promise is going to come through Isaac. It's through your offspring, the offspring of Sarah, that the the, the promise will come. But here's the thing. As time kept going on, don't you know that Hagar and Ishmael kept thinking, yeah, uh uh-huh, she's 90. She's not going to be having any children. Ishmael really is going to be the heir of all of this stuff, and it's going to be great. And then all of a sudden, God is faithful to his promise, as he has said in his timing, to do the impossible, and the heir is born. And so there's this great feast that is thrown for Isaac when he is weaned, which would have been about three years old in that day. And we don't know why, but Ishmael's response was not good. Verse 9, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. By the way, Ishmael's name is never mentioned in this entire text. We have Isaac over and over and over and over again. Ishmael's never mentioned once by name. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. There's a real play on words here. Because there's laughing, then there's laughing. There's laughing out of joy, and there's laughing out of mocking and derision and making fun of. And that's what's going on here. We don't know why he would have done this, but this is not good. What should have been his response, do you think? Joy and celebration that God had given to his father, the promised son, at his old age of 100. He should have been joyful that God had come through with his promises. 
Yes, it would have meant that he would have lost his inheritance and that it would have gone all to Isaac. That seems like a pretty big ask, doesn't it? But isn't that what Jonathan did with David? Isn't this what Jonathan did with David? Now, Jonathan was supposed to be the heir. He was supposed to be the next king. That's how it worked. And then God said, David, you're going to be king. And Jonathan said, praise God. I'm all on board. I'm your buddy. I'll make a covenant with you. I'll do everything to support you, even though it meant great detriment to Jonathan. That's what should have been Ishmael's response here, but he doesn't. He's angry and he mocks. Rather than submitting to God's plan and gracious provision for Abraham and the very nations of all the earth, of all the ages, because it was leading ultimately to Christ's birth, he responds with disobedience, mocking, and derision. The thing about sin is it's messy when it happens and it's messy to clean up. And this is messy. Sarah gets really upset. And I'm not entirely sure Sarah had the best response. I'm not necessarily defending her action. Although it is going to be affirmed by God. So that's tough to speak against her. She said, Abraham, you've got to get rid of these folks. Now, Abraham was pretty upset on account of his son. In fact, the text says in the Hebrew that he was explosively angry. But God came to him, it seems, in a dream at night and said, do what Sarah said. But he softened the blow because he reminded Abraham of, the, of another promise. Remember, God fulfills his promises. He, he reminded Abraham of another promise, and that he would bless Ishmael and make him out to be a great nation because he was one of his descendants. So Abraham, doing something very difficult, woke up the next day, and he gave meager supplies to Hagar, Hagar and Ishmael and sent them out into the wilderness. This is where it gets super messy. Because here is a 17-year-old boy and he is dying of dehydration and exposure. Hagar, his mother, puts him under a bush and goes away that she won't be right by him when he dies. Wow. But remember, God is faithful to fulfill his promises in his timing. And again, he does what is impossible, and he sends forth, uh, he's called here the angel of God, uh, to intervene. And he, and he says, Hagar, don't worry. I've heard, I've heard the voice of the boy. It's interesting that he heard the voice of the boy, not Hagar's voice. Many commentators wonder if Ishmael really did know the Lord, and he called out in faith and asking for help. Well, it's, it's, it's hard to tell from the text. We don't know. Although he's, we're told elsewhere that he's going to not be a nice guy, and he's going to be a real problem. And so God sent, opens Hagar's eyes to the well that is near them, and causes them to survive. And not just survive, but God is faithful and he will make Hagar, excuse me, Ishmael, the father of a great nation. And Twelve princes would come from him. But there's still a problem that even today. I think there's a good application here. And so does James Montgomery Boyce as we think through this issue of casting out of Ishmael. There are times in which we let things into our lives which threaten our walk with the Lord. Having Ishmael in the house was going to threaten the peace of a house in which Isaac was going to be the, the son of the promise and through whom the promise was going to go forth. And I think a lot of times we allow things into our household, into our homes, into our hearts that keep us from being wholly devoted to the Lord, perhaps even good things. Well, 
we, we began our time together asking the question, is God trustworthy? Is God trustworthy? I hope you've seen that God is trustworthy. You know, we're told in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians rather, one twenty, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. Did you know that it's trustworthy? Right, it's good. It's trustworthy. It is. It is deserving of full acceptance. That Christ came into this world to save sinners with whom I am the foremost. That, that's, tr- that's trustworthy. We can trust God. It's a saying that is worthy of all acceptance. And this is where we are thankful for the faithfulness of God because we have been unfaithful. And we have not held up the side of the agreement where we obey God's law I, I, today. Right? But God is trustworthy. And the Father has put upon him, his, his Son the penalty. The, the Son through whom would come, from Isaac would come. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on and so on, until finally the Son of David. And then you get finally this, uh, Jesus who is born, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David. And He has come to save His people from their sin. And we can trust in the provision of a sacrifice and a substitute for our sin. And we can trust that God is going to help us to say no to sin. That having been redeemed by God's grace, He will, by His grace, as we look to Him in faith, help us to live this life in a way that glorifies Him. Just as we, in faith, look to the day that He makes good on His promise when Christ comes again. And so, I pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You're, you're, you're trustworthy. We thank you that uh, we can take it to the bank every time, whatever you say. Help us to believe all the more uh, in your trustworthiness. Grow us in uh, your grace. Strengthen our faith, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's include our service by standing and singing all three verses of 354, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms.
sisters in Christ, turn and receive God's good word to you. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.